0: We're going to be reading from Luke's uh, Gospel, chapter 1, this morning. Um, The the title this morning is, it's Mary's Confession, I Am the Lord's Servant. Mary's Confession, I Am the Lord's Servant. What's your confession this morning? Are we the Lord's Servants? Because according to the Scriptures, all who um, know and love the Lord Jesus, um, they are indeed the Lord's um, Servants. So let us just read together this morning... Um, this is the, the birth of Jesus foretold. This when Mary, Mary just first finds out that she's about to conceive. Uh, it's a well-known um, story. The theme this morning is being a servant of the Lord and how to grow in that area. Because after some convincing, we know that uh, Mary came to grasp that despite her, I suppose, disbelief in her own life, she was being called by God in the ministry and in the service and she had to come to terms with that. And as she come to terms with that, she had to learn certain things, certain things that we're going to be looking at in um, this morning that I trust will help us in our own walks with the Lord as we seek to serve him. So let us begin reading there then Luke's, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26, reading through. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man called Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now, Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favoured woman, for the Lord indeed is with you. Verse 29, being confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could have meant. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel said, for you have found favour with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son And you will name him Jesus, and he will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Verse 34. Now Mary asked the angel, but how can this be, for I am a virgin? And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the baby to be born will be holy. And he will be called the son of God. What's more, your relative, Elizabeth, has become pregnant in her 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 old age. Now, people used to say, now listen to these words. People used to say that she was barren, but she has conceived a son, and now is in her sixth month, for the word word of God will never fail. Church, can we say that again? The word of God will never fail. Verse 38, and Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come to pass. I know the Lord will bless um, his reading to us this morning. The New Testament teaches us that each believer is called into Christian service. Now that's something we need to probably consider and grasp in our own lives, excuse me, this morning, but that each believer has a part to play in their part of enhancement of the kingdom of God. Excuse me, I want you to notice something in Matthew's account. I do apologize this morning. Here we go. In Matthew's account, what we notice is this. He presents Joseph to us as being one of the main characters. And I like to bring this out because it's important. But what we've just read in Luke's account is that we see that Mary is presented as the main character, not Joseph. And what this tells us is that we all have a part to play in the kingdom of God. That we too, like Mary, we must come to the point that we are able to say within ourselves that I am the Lord's servant and Thy will be done. That's a difficult place to come to as a believer. We know for sure that we can say that, listen, I am a Lord's servant. I serve the Lord. That's what I live for. I live for him. There's many Christians that haven't come to that place, and and God wants to bring us through His Word and His Spirit to that place where we too are able to say, like Mary, that I am a servant of the Lord. Now, I believe a church with this mindset will experience God move in a great way among them as servants of the resurrected Christ. Now, I want to bring us to our first point this morning. If you're taking notes this morning, the first point is this, together we will do great exploits together we will do great exploits. There's some people try to do it alone. This is not a good thing. Together we do great exploits. Thank you, Julie. I do apologize again. something about this area. Maybe it needs a good hover or dust or something. That's probably an insult to anybody who cleans this church. I do apologize. That's not what I meant at all. Not at all. <laughs> so together we will do great exploits. Now, the term the body of Christ In the New Testament, as we all know, is a metaphor for the church. The body of Christ, when we come around this table and we're called to discern the body of Christ, it doesn't mean we sit and focus on the cross and think of what Jesus' body looked like. It means we think about the person sitting beside you and we discern our relationships. We discern that we make sure we have nothing that is grieving the Spirit or anything among us that would hinder God move. That's what it means to discern the bodies, discern the church that you're part of. Now, the church of Jesus Christ is made up of born-again believers. Yes, there's many come to church and be part of church that aren't saved. But the universal church that the Scripture speaks about is a body of born-again believers who are sinners transformed with the gospel, who now live for Jesus. Now, 1 Corinthians 12 and 27 says this. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. That brings it down to the, the individual present tense of you. You're an individually, individually you're a member of Christ's church if you're saved. Now each believer becomes a member of the universal church. This is the unseen church. It's a church that will be raptured at the last, at the end of the day. It's a church that will be spent eternity with God. It's those who are saved. It's not a building, it's people. But each believer is to put down in roots in a local church. So to help with the work of the ministry, But I want to show you this by scripture and through scripture to help you this morning see this, because there is a tendency of a lot of people believing that church has no real relevance today. That's a lie from Satan. Of course it has. I want to share something very personal with you. There's been times where I've been going to meetings that I did not necessarily want to go. There's times I didn't feel spiritually good within myself, didn't want to go to church, but there was never once that I didn't leave stronger and better. Have you ever experienced that? Even a minister experiences that. The flesh is weak, the spirit is willing, and that's why God has ordained the church because that's where we we get strengthened as the people of God. But I want to show you the importance of this in the church, the importance of you. In the book of Ephesians chapter 4, it tells us that within the church, there's apostles, there's prophets, there's evangelists, there's pastors, and there's teachers. Now, we're not going to break these all down today in any depth, but apostles could be likened as this, A man or a woman who would be a church planter, perhaps a missionary, somebody who has a desire to carry the message of the gospel into somewhere where it has not yet been carried. That's that's probably what an apostle looks like in today's language. Well, prophets prophets are great fun. They speak into the life of the church. Unfortunately, this gift has been abused a lot, and unfortunately, we all feel a wee bit tense, myself included, (coughs) about it. But a prophet, a modern-day prophet, a New Testament prophet, is one who speaks into the life of the church as they hear and are led by God. Now, there are some who claim to be prophets. And what I've noticed is they spend their time proclaiming the faults of others in the service within the local church. And they feel that they can do this and get away with it because God told them to say things. Now, I personally don't buy that. Uh, at all, and it doesn't burst me off. I believe if rebuke is needed within the church, that the church will receive it because we know we need it. Is that fair enough? If we know the rebuking of God, we will know that we have, we're out of the will of God. Not just highlighting one or two people individually, it'll be the, the church collectively. <coughs> but much of the time, the self-proclaimed prophets are nothing more than strange fire among the saints. And some of you need to know that this morning. Because you fear these gifts because of the strange fire. But that's just some. And we were able to discern them through Scripture. But there are those who carry this office of prophet, and they are able to speak on to the inspiration of the Spirit. And you could be sitting in this pew this morning, it could be you this morning. Sometimes, according to Scripture, these people are able to predict perhaps future events. Their word is never over and above the Scripture and must always come in line with the Scripture or else they're false, simply, simply put. They are able at times to proclaim God's will on a matter pertaining to the church. More often than not, they would maybe speak out in a service and bring clarity to a matter that perhaps the leadership was wrestled with. That's the sort of things a prophet's ministry could do, bring clarity to a matter in the church. Now, the Scripture tells us that prophets are for the strengthening of the local church. Do you hear that? For the strengthening of the of the local church, not for public ridicule. And maybe you at times feel moved to speak over the church and to edify her and to strengthen her. And if you do sense that gift, I want to say to you, can you please pray about this gift? I want to encourage you in this gift, but make sure that it lines up with Scripture and of God. First Corinthians 14 says this, but he who prophesies speaks to men for their edification, for their encouragement and for their comfort. As I've said before, not for public ridicule. It's to edify and strengthen the church. And when used properly, the office, of pro- the office of prophet is a powerful tool within the local church. Then there's the evangelists. They're also a great crack. They are just, everything about them just wants to get out through the door. Why are you sitting in church this morning? You should be out telling people about Jesus. That's the type of role you see inside, a, a, a spirit you have inside an evangelist. Thank God for them. They aren't content. They want to get the gospel out through the doors. They're those who carry the gospel out through the doors and into the world. And they also equip the church to do so. Then there's pastors and there's teachers. Well, we say no more. They protect the flock with the word, through the word to keep false doctrine out. They, they try to protect and and govern and look after the, the people the best they can. And they teach and preach the word of God. That's what the Bible teaches about them We gifts. So why have I mentioned these gifts to you this morning? I want you to notice why they're given to you, the local church. Ephesians 4 and 12 says this. They're given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Do you hear that word? For the work of the ministry. And for the building up of the body of Christ. So what we see here and can conclude is this. That all believers are called into the ministry. All believers are to build up and encourage the body of Christ. And the church is called to be about the Father's business, about the Father's business, church. John 9 and verse 4 says this, As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. For the night is coming when no man can work. There's a time coming when the church will have no place. There's a time coming when your loved ones will be past saving. There's a time coming perhaps you this morning will be past saving. You see, there's a time we are to work, there's a time that we are to be about the Father's business as a church, and there's a time to sleep, and that time will not come till we reach glory. We each have a purpose, church. We each have been called, as Mary was called, to serve the Lord. So there we have it, as servants of the Lord, together the local church, together we can do great exploits. That brings us to our second point. <clears throat> this is an interesting one, I feel. It's trusting God when it doesn't make sense. Trusting God when it doesn't make sense to us. As believers, trusting God at times can prove difficult. Mary experienced this in her own life. I want you to see this. She came face to face with an angel called Gabriel. Think of that for one moment. We read that as if that's normal. That is not normal. Mary encountered the living God A messenger was sent to her, and her life was to be changed forever. And all who come to faith faith in Christ will have their life changed forever. Amen? The good old days are gone. We have no excuse. We are not living in ignorance anymore, as we mentioned last week. We now are enlightened. We know the Lord, and we are called into, into work and service for him. But she came face to face with a messenger called Gabriel, and her life was changed. Now, quite simply put, if you took a wee look at Mary's life to see how it was at that point, it was comfortable. Why was it comfortable? Well, look, she was about to be married. She was engaged. We know what that season's like. Before the wedding, there's all the expectation, the excitement, all that goes with it. She was in this season of her life. She'd made plans to marry. She had personal desires, and I'm sure, great excitement for the future ahead. But here's the thing. God stepped in, and his timing isn't always perfect for us. When God calls us, it might not always suit us. In fact, our plans will have to go to the back burner. At least that's my experience is what I see within the Word. You either seek first the kingdom of God or we put them in the back burner. And she was being called to come to faith and to step into what God had for her. Have you ever thought of it like that? She was being called to come to faith. And through her, God was going to use her mightily that the Messiah was going to come in. It's not my time to quit her, is Says you, yeah, should get a timer. That would help us greatly. <laughs> Through her, the Lord Jesus was going to come into this world. Now, we read about Mary, and there's two words I just want to throw out to you this morning. Mary was confused, and Mary was fearful. Imagine that. Christian. Have you ever found yourself confused in your life as a believer? Have you ever found yourself going, what on earth? God, where are you in all of this? What about fearful? Have you ever found yourself fearful? Church, there will be times, there will be things in our life that will simply just make no sense to us. Like Mary, we are told that we are highly favored by God according to the word of God. But there will be seasons we will feel that we're more than more cursed, perhaps, than favored. See, the word of God sets us free. It doesn't delude us because we are very good at deluding ourselves. But the word of God speaks into us. It's a lamp onto our feet. It's a light. It, It lets us see that, listen, this is very normal for you if you're confused this morning, if you're fearful this morning, if your life's just not as you thought it would be this morning. God hasn't lost control. And I believe it's in these times and I say this as humbly as I can, because I know these times are so trying. But it's in these times of confusion and despair, perhaps, that God teaches us to trust him. Now, Mary was confused as what was happening in her life. And she had to learn to trust God. That the promise of God spoken of her life would come to pass, despite what she thought. Do you see that? She had to learn this. As a, before she could declare she's a servant, she had to learn to trust him. And what I see in verse uh, 34 is that Gabriel begins to speak God's will and purpose over her life. She, being a virgin, would conceive and give birth to Jesus, the Son of God. What a statement. What faith it must have taken to, to even believe these words. But she, like us all, she found it hard to trust God and to believe Him at His word. She too had to learn to trust God even when it didn't make sense. And as servants of the Lord, we too must learn and will learn to trust Him. And this normally happens when things simply don't make sense in our life. Being a father with teenage children, church. I don't know if you're in there. It's mental. There's some lovely teenage children here. Put your head astray. I just think of my poor mother, but we must have put her through. But there's so many other things, isn't there? All of a sudden our life can feel out of control. But it's in these times and in these situations when our life does not pan out as we thought it would, that God teaches us to trust Him you trust Him this morning? There's always a wee bit more we could do, isn't there? A wee bit of depth of faith. That brings us to our last point, our third point. It's allowing the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. That might sound easy, but it's not that easy. Allowing the Holy Spirit to work both in us and then through us. Sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we try to minister and allow the Spirit to work through us. But unless we allow the Spirit to work in us, we cannot minister and he cannot minister through us. Listen, when God called Mary, we're told this, that she became troubled and disturbed. She became troubled and disturbed. Think of them words. And so it is when all who God calls to be saved will experience the troubled soul. It's called conviction. And without conviction, I am 100% convinced, convinced There's no conversion. There's many a man or woman perhaps have come to faith in their mind, but they haven't experienced that conviction. Yes, they maybe feel that they want to get their life right, and they want things to change for them, but they haven't come to the understanding that they've sinned against God. But Mary, we are told, understood and felt the conviction of the Lord. She was troubled. Conviction of sin is God's way of inviting you to turn to Him to be saved. And listen, Christian, conviction is also God's way is calling his children to come back home when they're living a wayward life. Conviction isn't just for the lost sinner. Conviction is very much for the people of God as well. And there is a place that we can come to, it says, that we get our conscience so seared that we become numb to sin. And that speaks out into the world, that a place that, that somebody who's not saved can find themselves in a place where they are no longer conviction convicted, where where they can do wrong and think nothing and feel nothing. And and there's a place where the Christian can come to. They can get so comfortable living in sin and out of the will of God, but yet still trying to minister through the Holy Spirit. And and that's what conviction does. It, It quickens a sinner and it pulls the Christian back home. But conviction of our sin is not repentance, but conviction itself should lead us if our heart is right and willing to Repentance. And, and Mary, many a man and many a woman has been convicted of their sin, but the Spirit of God been working on them, yet they fail to repent and receive Christ and His salvation. Now, maybe that's you this morning. In times past, God has called you to be saved, and you've known Him speaking to you, and you know that you were convicted, but you resisted that conviction, and you're standing here or sitting here today, and you're still not saved. And you personally experienced this, this this troubled soul that I'm speaking about, this disturbed spirit, that's God calling you. That's God working on you. We see that in Mary, and we should see that in every Christian's life. And every man or woman before they come to faith should should experience this disturbed and troubled soul. But if you've been resisting him and he's been calling you, listen, perhaps he's, he's passed you by. Think of that. Perhaps that conviction's gone. You once felt him calling you to be, to be saved or to come out of sin, Christian, and, and it's passed you by. It's a very dangerous place to be. It's a very dangerous place to be. And we need to, to not only hear and notice and recognize the conviction of the Lord, but respond to it, because it in itself is not repentance. It should lead us to that, that, that place of repentance. But I just want to say this. If you're here this morning and you're not saved and you yourself have experienced what I'm speaking about, this troubled soul and leading of the Lord to bring you home and to save you, don't ignore it. Don't ignore that conviction. Allow him in. Allow the Spirit in to work in you and then work through you. Let him into your life and he will do the rest. Don't ignore uh, that conviction. It's a bit like taking a picnic on a railway track when the warning bell is ringing that the train is approaching, it's somewhat foolish and somewhat dangerous. The Lord says in Genesis 6 and 3 that my spirit shall always strive with man. And I just want to highlight that danger that the Lord has and the Lord will again let men and women who keep resisting his conviction to carry on in their sin and to die without Christ. A few years ago, I remember an old man giving tracts out and sharing the gospel outside a shopping center in Armagh. It was the week before Christmas, and this lady came out somewhat flustered, just what Christmas does to us, and her hands was filled with these bags of shopping. She was clearly agitated and frustrated, and here this wee man was not a cur in the world, telling people about this Jesus. And she stopped. she sat her bags down, and she devoured this man, she questioned his timing. Why on earth would you be standing here in such a time when we're, we're trying to get our shopping done and talking this old rubbish? You see, so caught up, so deceived in all the wrong stuff, the very one this wee man was preaching about should be the very thing that Christmas is about. she had lost her way. You see, she had no conviction Absolutely no understanding of why she did what she did, and that's what the word does. It brings us to an understanding and a conviction of who God is and who we are before Him. But sadly, conviction does not always lead to repentance, and many ignore His call and His pleading, only to be lost in eternity. Church, it's our responsibility. Take this seriously. Invite your friends to the services. We're trying to be not too weird. If you like. We're putting on services that are relaxed. We're making sure we all feel at home. There's even coffee, imagine, in the foyer. If you're really good there's a bun. But we we'll preach the gospel. We tell them truth. We don't hide away from stuff. Invite them. Please invite them. Because we each have a responsibility. And make no mistake, we each will give an account of how we trusted him and how we served him. Lift the phone. Invite them. Don't do a text message. It's like breaking up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend, isn't it? If you're single today. It's just too easy. Lift the phone, a wee personal invite. Would you come? Now listen, if you've experienced the conviction of the Lord in your life, please don't ignore it. The Lord's calling you. Allow him in this morning. Allow him in this year and be you saved. And don't be afraid of his call. I want to bring this out. Mary herself was afraid of God's call, of God's call in her life. You notice that the scripture says, the angel says there, Mary, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. You see, there is a sense of fear when God's speaking to us and calling us. In other words, what the angel was saying to Mary, Mary, allow the Holy Spirit to work both in you and through you. In you and through you. Maybe when we've mentioned some of the gifts this morning, the fivefold gift ministry to the church, maybe that fears us as a church to see people operate in these gifts. Don't worry, you can trust us. We'll give no room to strange fire. But we don't hide away from the things of God because we find it a wee bit strange, a wee bit fearful. We look at the scriptures and we see what the scriptures teach. And what, what the angel was saying to Mary was, look, don't be afraid, but allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and trust God in it that he will work um, through you. And, and Gabriel begins to speak over her life again. Because that's what the Word of God does. He speaks over our lives regularly. And Gabriel speaks the promises of God. Look to verse 31 in your Bibles. Because I want you to notice something about this. uh, These promises that are about to be poured out over her life. I want you to notice the authority of these promises. Verse 31. You will conceive. Notice the word will. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him to be the throne of his father. Or will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Such authority we see in these promises of God, and I love uh, Mary's, Mary's response to this this outpouring of promises over our life, but how? isn't it just great? But how, God? How can this happen to me for I am a virgin? And that is, is, not, is that not how we all respond to the promises of God when they're spoken over our life? But how? But how could I be used of God? But how could I ever do that? But how is this going to happen? How is the resurrection going to happen? How is eternity going to happen? Did Christ really rise from the the, the grave is is the question of the world. He's never been denied that he existed. The only big question there is, did he rise, rise from the dead? But how? But how? But how? I remember an old preacher saying, when we struggled to understand the resurrection, he says he come to realize that he had a resurrection every day. He went to bed at night, closed his eyes, and then he woke up in the morning. Alive, life, didn't the worry was for a few hours. We did a wee resurrection every day. But how? And we must learn to get past the but how mindset and learn to trust God in every season. Isn't that right, church? How are we going to see our family saved? How are we going to see this mountain that we stand before moved? How? We must learn to trust God. We must learn to trust God. Because there will be times in our life where nothing short of a miracle is going to bring us through. And to learn to trust God, one must learn to read and believe what the Scripture says. Because the Bible is filled with stories of people who found themselves in impossible situations, but God did the impossible. But the problem you have is probably the same problem I have. We read the Scriptures as if it's a storybook for our kids. Fiction, fantasy, sci-fi. Not a historical fact. And if things don't make sense for you right now, with the grace of God and the Holy Spirit in your life, try to trust Christ with it and in it. Perhaps God is doing something in your life. Perhaps preparing you for a greater work or for the next stage of your, your journey of faith. Because we see this with Mary. She was going on a journey. She was about to go up a lap, up a stage. God was preparing for her a greater work and she had to learn to trust him in it. And what we see is that Gabriel speaks to Mary about her cousin Elizabeth. Do You know this story. And he begins to remind her of an impossible situation that she too found herself in not that long ago. Because several months ago, Gabriel came to Elizabeth, the angel, and told her that she too would conceive a child, a boy. And this boy would be a prophet, a prophet called John the Baptist, who would be the very forerunner of Christ himself. But at this time, we know if we read the story, which we're not going to this morning, we know that Elizabeth and especially her husband, Zechariah, who was a high priest, they faced a mountain of unbelief. It doesn't matter if you stand in the pulpit or high priest who gets to enter the Holy of Holies or who you are this morning. Each of us will face doubt, fear, discouragement, troubled. Why was there so much disbelief? Quite simply put, Elizabeth was an old woman and barren. But despite this unbelief, God's promises came to pass in our life. And what we see is that this is what Gabriel is trying to tell Mary. Mary, look around you. Look at your cousin. What's happened and what God did for her, he's going to do for you in a greater way. Despite this, God's promises come to, to faith or pass in, in, in Elizabeth's life. So what he's saying is basically stop trying to work everything out because that's what we try to do. But trust God in it. Allow the Holy Spirit to work in her and ensure through her. He's trying to encourage her to stop trying to work all this out on herself. And this lesson that the Holy Spirit is still teaching, is still teaching every local church today is this. Stop trying to work everything out with the trust God. Believe his word and allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and through you. Now, Gabriel says to Mary, In the eyes of man, it is impossible for Elizabeth to conceive. But with God, nothing is. Nothing is, church. Nothing is impossible. But there's many times it feels that road. But do we stand on what we experience or what our heart, which is wicked, deceitful, do we follow it or do we follow what the scriptures tell us? When you feel defeated, church, when you feel faithless, because this happens, we are to lift our head and look around. What do we look around to? Other people, other men, other women who once faced great mountains. And consider how God brought them through. Look to the scriptures. Consider the Apostle Paul for one of many, a man who stood face to face with many giants who opposed the gospel. Through through many a shipwreck, he learned to trust God. Think of that. Through many a rejection and whipping and beating, even his own, through his own, he learned to trust God in it. And he writes to the church to help them to trust God in every season. We know it well. He says, listen, church, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Look around you. Lay aside every weight and sin which clings to you. Get rid of it. Look around you. And Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look into our problems. No, no. Look into Jesus, sorry. Look into Jesus, who is both the author and the founder of our faith. See, he saved us. Many of you rascals like me came kicking and screaming. We didn't come to faith singing, come by Ah." We said, Lord, go away. I am enjoying my life of sin. Bring back the nice taste. You see, thank God he persisted with us, but we're a look to Jesus, the author of our faith. Look unto Jesus, Paul says, not the brick wall that stands before us, not our dark heart that is filled with doubt and many a great evil, Not to our personal faithlessness, but look to Christ, the one who is both our perfecter and the one who who ordained our faith. And Gabriel says to Mary, don't look to your limitations, but allow the Holy Spirit to work in you and through you. I want to close with this We thought. Look in verse 35. Here we see the Holy Spirit at work in Mary's life. And church, we fail to see the Holy Spirit work in our life. But he works in our lives the same way he worked in Mary's life. And verse 35 you read this, spoken over Mary's life, Mary the Holy Spirit will come upon you. What does the Bible say at church when you get saved? The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Is that not the Word of God over us? He will quicken us and strengthen us. And the child will be born. Are you not born again when you come to faith? And he will be called holy. Are we not called holy through Christ? What happened for Mary has happened for you, church, if you're saved this morning. It's happened for me. We need to grasp these promises that the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives and his promises are yea and amen, not maybe, not hopefully, which is the promises of this world. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and I will send you the helper, Jesus said to the church. Now allow him to work through you and in you. He sent us a helper. We need to receive him. And use him and allow him to work um, in us. And then finally we see in verse 38 that Mary comes to faith. And faith begins to rise up within her wee heart. She begins to allow the Holy Spirit into her, her life. And he begins to work in her. How do we know the Holy Spirit's working in her? Because of her confession. Look at her confession. Behold, she says. After everything I've just preached to you. After she experienced this for herself. She was able to say, Behold. I am the servant of the Lord. Now let it be done to me in accordance with his word. She was no longer following her heart. She was no longer looking around her, confused and disturbed. She was looking to God. She was looking to his word. And her faith had raised up and says, Lord, finally, I've learned to trust you. Finally, I'm going to declare that it's you, Lord. I am your servant and I will follow you. What I see is this. I'm going to ask the team to come when I simply say this. Mary heard the word. She accepted the word. Then she obeyed the word. It sounds so simple, church. But may we as a people of God hear the word of God as it's spoken into our lives daily and weekly. May we accept the word of God and may we through the power of the Holy Spirit obey it and walk in it and trust them in them.